Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I am privileged to welcome an author and someone who spent time in human resources, Mr. Iman Ghosh. Iman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ashutosh. So, Iman, let's start with your book. Uh, tell me what is it titled, and then we can ask you a few more questions. Um, I wrote my first book on inflation mm-hmm. in 1984, but the book I think you're referring to is my second book on reducing poverty mm-hmm. to accelerate economic growth. Okay. So tell me what inspired you to write a book on reducing poverty to accelerate economic growth in 1992 and how relevant is it today? Right. Thank you for the question. So I was doing my master's in economics at the time. And um, we had covered the sweep of the Indian banking system. And I read a news article Mm -hmm. that, well, it it sort of outraged me because I thought, what a dumb thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So around that that time, the regional rural banks were running large losses. There were about 196 of these. Mm -hmm. And there was a proposal to amalgate them together and move them to Delhi. And the thought that struck me was how incredibly foolish. Mm-hmm. At the time, India had 580,000 villages. Now it's uh, 650, uh, you know, approximately. But if you want to deliver rural credit, you need to deliver it on the spot. I mean, not from Delhi or from, from a national capital. No. And I thought this is exactly the, the wrong strategic direction to be going in. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kicked off a process. Um, I was actually inspired to sit down and, and in, in a few sittings, write the entire book. And I sent it to the, to the Reserve Bank, to the Reserve Bank governor. Of course, didn't hear back from it. But um, then the, the book, um, a few years later, was abridged. Well, I was invited by the Times of India to abridge it and, and write a, an article on the editorial page. Um, I was told later that it was recorded in the in the records of the Indian Parliament. Mm-hmm. Then the founding vice chancellor of the National Law School of India University um, included it in the syllabus of the then um, then NUGS University, and he invited me to teach the first batch of students based based on that. So, I to answer your question on whether it's still relevant, I think it is because we're still grappling with precipitously low growth rates. We're still grappling as a nation with uh, rural poverty. So um, the principles, I believe, very much apply. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the ideas that you have put forth in the book? Well, you see, um, India has two distinct financial sectors. We have a traditional financial sector that goes back thousands of years. I mean, if you look at the writings of Manu, Mm -hmm. um, the word banker is mentioned there. In contradistinction, the modern financial sector is only a few hundred years old. Mm -hmm. At the center of that is the Reserve Bank of India. And um, the writ of the Reserve Bank governor, unfortunately, as far as interest rates go, does not run across the entire country. We have this assumption that the Reserve Bank 
controls or influences monetary policy and interest rates, it does not. Uh, there's a very stark difference in interest rates between the modern financial sector. I mean, if, if you or I were to borrow money from a bank uh, to start a business or for a housing loan, or we might pay interest in the single digits or on a credit card, maybe 24%, 36%. Um, but if you were a vegetable vendor, I mean, the vegetable vendor who supplies vegetables to your home every morning borrows 90 rupees in the morning and pays back either 110 or according to an economic advisor in the Ministry of Rural Development, the figure is actually closer to 120. Mm -hmm. Now, even if we took the conservative figure of 100 rupees, that would be 11% per day. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you thought about this, 11% interest per day works out to several thousand interest percent interest per annum. I think 3,000 um, and plus. And if you compounded it, if you took a single paisa or you took a single cent and you compounded it every day by 11%, at the end of a year, you'd end up with an astronomical figure that is larger than the GDP of the United States. When I first calculated it, it was almost twice as much, 35 you know, um, trillion dollars. I mean, it's, a, it's a huge figure. So mm -hmm. you can't really have capital formation. You can't, you can't, it doesn't lend itself. I mean, such high interest rates. So help me understand what were the specific uh, <coughs> ideas you actually wrote about. Right. So um, the book looked at ways I mean, my dream for India is, can we reduce the interest rates in for 800 million people, 900 million people? Can, can we bring the interest rates down mm. to levels that are similar to what um, Indians who have access to the modern financial sector pay? If we are able to do that, Ashutosh, we would be able to spark off, you know, a tremendous amount of entrepreneurial activity. We would not have huge amounts of debt. We would not have generational debt. Mm -hmm. We'd be able to spark. We'd be able to accelerate economic growth for India and you know for other countries because mm -hmm. many countries have a similar. So um, my the whole reason I was you know um, on fire with this idea was how can we help India emerge from the poverty that to a large you know you can't have islands of prosperity in an ocean of poverty. I mean, that, that's not how you grow a nation. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's entirely unnecessary. I mean, um, I, I thought about this quite deeply and um, the solutions are not very complicated, but I'd suggest it was a refinance market that bridges the modern and traditional financial sectors. Mm -hmm. When you have very high interest rates and um, for Indians living in, in across, you know, 650,000 villages, and um, that go into the thousands of percents. But at the same time, you have a financial sector um, where you can access credit in the low, in the high single digits or low double digits. Um, the question was, is there a way that we could bridge this, reduce interest rates for all Indians, and in the process, perhaps spark entrepreneurial activity? And, and there is a way. So, so three decades later, when you look back at some of your thoughts, uh, whether it's interest rate reduction, whether it's poverty alleviation, yes. whether it is, uh, you know, making uh, an economy which is equal for everybody, 
how do you think we have moved and where do we uh, stand today? Unfortunately, we haven't made much progress. Um, maybe I need to improve my marketing and, and, sell, and selling skills. I mean, I've talked about these ideas in a number of venues on a TEDx talk. Um, it's, it's appeared in different places, but um, I haven't seen much progress. And, and unfortunately, with demonetization, we've actually moved back a bit. Um, so, and it, it is my contention, it's my belief that all of this is unnecessary. If you want to strengthen an economy, we can do it with just a few innovations. And it is possible to benefit a lot of people. You, you can reduce pharma suicides. You can, you know, if you notice, the stocks of many major companies in India are dependent on, um, on the weather and how much disposable income 900 million of our fellow citizens who live in rural India have. If we are able to increase disposable income, you can have much faster economic growth. So again, for, for, my, for all our viewers and listeners, I'm, I'm trying to still get from you, what are the two or three specific things that you would want them to do? As I agree, companies rely on I, I, you know, harvesting, rural markets are important, they're dependent on monsoons, uh, interest rates are high, what are the specific things that you recommend we should be doing to be able to uh, make an impact in rural India? That's a fantastic question. So I'll try and summarize the book uh, in a few sentences. Now, during the time when India got its independence from Britain, we chose to model the banking sector that was predominant in Britain. Mm -hmm. Now, Britain is a relatively compact nation. Um, it's very different in, in several important ways from India. We have a vast geography, a lot of isolated communities living all around the country. The banking model that the British had chosen and that we adopted, I believe almost unthinkingly, is the branch banking system, where a few banks have a lot of branches that are largely concentrated in urban areas but doesn't have much rural penetration. Now that, that's fine for Britain, but not so good for India. The so model, what should have been the model for India? The model that I recommended for, for India that we benchmarked was a system, a, a banking model that the United States had followed that was predominant in the US about 200 years ago, where again, you had a vast geography, isolated communities. They had something called a unit banking system where a bank would comprise primarily of a single office. It grew out of a trading, you know, maybe a, a grocery shop or something in a rural community and um, banking services evolved. Now, there were no gaps in the banking services because each of these unit banks had a corresponding banking relationship with other banks and with major banks and cities. So, um, a customer at a rural at, at one of these unit banks in a in a rural location would not be would have access to all the services that they, that they needed, including checkbook facilities, access to credit, and and everything else. So I thought that was more appropriate for India than a branch banking model. But uh, Imon, now coming, let's let's fast forward from 1992 to 2021. Yes. Uh, everything is digital. Yes. Everyone has a smartphone. 
Yes. People are transacting yes. uh, directly with their accounts and their banks. Yes. Direct benefit transfer is something which is benefiting a lot of people. Sure. Uh, how does your hypothesis still hold in the traditional okay. banking sector or the branches or the unit banking in today's environment? Sure, sure. So if you look at today's banking structures, you find that we have a lot of branches, but they are primarily concentrated in urban areas and entire two and three cities. You will not find um, banking facilities in India's 650,000 villages. They still do not exist, even today. Now, okay. India has unit banks, by the way, and you're absolutely right. With the digital, we, we can leapfrog a lot with digital innovation, but um, you don't have internet access in a lot of villages still. But we do have we do have a banking sector that is not recognized in every single Indian village. It's a traditional sector that has been there for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, India has its own unit banks, unit banks. Um, we have our own money lenders, but they are looked down almost with contempt by the modern financial sector. Um, when the RBI was formed in the 1930s, there have been several attempts to bridge the two, but the RBI required India's unit, you know, money lenders to ditch their traditional methods of doing business completely and adapt the RBI's sort of standard switch. Are you, are you recommending that money lenders with their absolutely usurious rates of interest come back again? They're already here, Ashutosh. They've not gone anywhere. They've always been here. Uh, the Shroff Committee in the 1980s, 1990s, estimated that 90% of credit in the Indian economy, it's cyclic, of course, but is provided by indigenous bankers. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the interest rates are outrageous. But then my contention is, if you took a modern branch bank and you put it in an isolated uh, rural setting with no access to refinance facilities, they would end up having very high interest rates themselves. So what I've done in the book is I have, we have a very interesting symmetry. If you look at the modern financial sector, it has one major strength, access, you know, inexpensive credit relatively compared to the traditional sector. But our Indian indigenous bankers, the traditional sector have three other complementary strengths, which if combined with the modern financial sector would give India a powerful boost. These are quick decision times, quick turnaround times. I mean, if you, if you went to a bank and you wanted to borrow several crore rupees to start an industry, they would take months to arrive at a decision. By that time, your project costs would have escalated. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you, you're an entrepreneur yourself. Um, India's indigenous bankers will take a decision, yes or no, within hours. Yeah. The modern financial sector will only give you a portion of what you need, maybe 60% or 70%. So right from the beginning, your project is underfunded, undercapitalized, and you're creating a non-performing asset almost by default. Mm -hmm. If India's indigenous bankers, who charge very high interest rates, we're addressing that separately, they will give you as much money as you need provided they have it. And with the refinance market, 
we are offering them a, a way that they can access a network of capital while bringing down their interest rates. Okay. The third advantage that India's indigenous bankers have is the geographic spread. For heaven's sake, they're in every single village that you can think of, 650,000. I don't think if you took all the branch bank, you know, um, all the branches of every single bank in India, they would be in more than 80 or 90,000 locations, mm -hmm. not even 100,000 locations, even today. So what are we talking about? I mean, if you want to, if you want to reach out to all of India, cover the majority of our population, mm -hmm. bring them into the modern financial sector and give India a, a, a level playing field. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, sure. I mean, I, I understand that. But those who do, it is my contention, along with farmers and artisans, and you know, um, India deserves, Indian entrepreneurs deserve to have access to affordable credit. Mahmoud Yunus, the chairman of the Grameen Bank, is actually on record as saying that um, access to inexpensive credit is a basic human right. The government of India, the constitution of India, in its directive principles, state that it's the duty of the government to provide a livelihood for every Correct. But I'm still, I'm still not being able to reconcile with few things. You know, obviously you are yes. talking of the early nineties, but there oh, are, yeah. you know, hundreds of microfinance organizations in our country. Yes. Hundreds. Yes. And I've been speaking to many people, and everybody says that they have enough cash available. Yes. So but are they are they present in every location across India in every village? The answer no. is no. Okay, maybe uh, your view is that they, sh they must be present irrespective of what no, the no, cost no, may be. No, I mean, um, the MFIs, by the way, are an innovation that seeks to incorporate um, elements of the informal financial sector. In, in 2000, I was invited by CARE International mm. to do an impact evaluation of the then government of India's largest poverty reduction program, the SGSY. Um, I've written a 123rd three-page uh, report that I'm happy to share with you and anybody else. Mm -hmm. So um, that model borrowed from the Grameen Bank. Dr. Mahmoud Yunus, my model is different. My model is completely different. Mm -hmm. um, the, the innovation that I've sought to propose is to bring together India's traditional financial sector with the modern financial sector. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the, the schism is cultural. It is not technical, it is not banking. It is the contempt that the modern financial sector, including the RBI, including modern financial, you know, the banks, have for India's traditional banking sector. We, our minds have been whitewashed in a sense. I mean, um, we have forsaken our tradition. Yes, but you also have to look at the track record. I mean, you know, a large number of the traditional mechanisms as you are speaking about, yeah. has also uh, harmed the, 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 the poor individual, whether it's to chit funds or whatever, uh, in, in a very dramatic manner. And the Reserve Bank of India has no choice. I'm not going to advocate for that. I'm trying to solve that problem hmm. by reducing the interest rates. The problem with the indigenous bankers hmm. is the interest rates are usurious. I mean, they're very high. That is the objectionable part. It is not the other three. I mean, one of the, if you look at four criteria, and I'm happy to share a, a, a slide deck from a TEDx talk that I've given on this topic. Only one of the criteria deals with the high interest rates. Mm -hmm. I'm seeking to address that and to bring it down to levels that are equal 
okay. or approximate to the rest. Okay. Now, um, but in spite of that, Ashutosh, if you look at the high regard, I mean, look, no voluntary transaction will take place unless both parties benefit from the transaction. I'm not defending the high interest rates. I think that is what is holding India back. I'm offering a few ideas and, you know, I'm inviting you and your listeners to co-create with me solutions. I don't have every solution, but my contention is that no idea is so good that it cannot be improved upon or so bad that it cannot be used as a stepping stone to a better idea. Sure. My invitation to you and to your, to your audience, to your tribe, is take these ideas and let's improve them. I mean, if we succeed, okay. India so benefits and so do other countries. Wonderful. So I have time for one more question now. And uh, this is that, you know, you've got some great ideas. Tell me, how have you promoted these ideas since you wrote the book almost three decades ago? Yes. Um, so... I published an article that summarizes this on the editorial page of the Times of India. That came out nationally. They invited me to write and I chose this topic. Um, this came out in 2001, so it's 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was included in the records of the Indian parliament. It is in the syllabus of a, of a national law university. I taught uh, the senior class, about 120 students. Um, I took them through these ideas. The poor guys were required to write an exam on this, and so it, it was part of the syllabus. Mm -hmm. I've um, talked about this in Rotary clubs, in in, a, in, a, in different settings, at national conferences in Indiana abroad, um, at a TEDx talk. Uh, okay. But I have to admit, my marketing skills need to be sharpened. Um, Fair enough. I'm obviously not that great a salesperson. Okay. And, and any plans to uh, update your whole book and come, come out with a 2022 edition? Um, sure, sure, I, I could. I think, especially in the light of demonetization, um, it might be interesting to combine the two to see how, I mean, the basic idea is not to be political. I'm not, I'm not political at all. Um, I, my interest is strengthening India's economy. Sure. My interest is how do we take what we have now and how do we build a strong foundation? Hmm. Um, I was also invited in 2017 to contribute a chapter to the United Services Institution Strategic Yearbook. Mm -hmm. The USI is India's oldest, sorry, Asia's oldest think tank. It was founded in 1870. And I was invited to write a chapter on India's sustainable economic growth. Mm -hmm. um, prospects and um, so basically around those ideas. And I, I injected these ideas in there. So I'm, I'm making an attempt. Okay. So uh, Imon, we've now run out of time, but uh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your vision for how we can actually alleviate poverty in our country. And I wish you lots of success with it's everything that you're doing. It remains a dream. Thank you, Ashraf. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.